Are you an advocate for civil rights? Do you believe the eradication of racism is a must in America? Are you ready for action in the fight against racial inequities, social injustices, and the inequality of opportunity for blacks and people of color in America? If any of this struck a chord with you, the Who Cares About Justice podcast is your answer. You're listening to the Who Cares About Justice podcast, a conversation aimed to inform, impact, and inspire every listener as an impetus to action and empowerment to see a better America. Join our host, Mr. Mark C. McGuire Sr. on the 28th of every month. Subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend. God bless and peace. Be still. Good afternoon. This is your man, Mark C. McGuire Sr. And listen, this is the Who Cares About Justice broadcast. I'm going live. Please forgive me. We've had some lighting difficulties here in our studio, but I want to just say welcome, welcome, welcome to the Who Cares About Justice broadcast. We're going live to you today. It is March 28th. We promise to have a podcast every 28th of the month. And the Who Cares About Justice broadcast is coming to you, sponsored by the CaresJusticeInstitute.org. Uh, we, we are excited, I, I mean, incorporated. And you can find us at CaresJustice.org. And so here at the Cares Justice Institute Incorporated, we're just excited to be a part and to be an organism that's going to help bring social justice and racial equality to the forefront and utilizing platforms that are already out there but just using our influence and hopefully making an impact to see a better Dayton, Ohio, a better Montgomery County, a better state of Ohio, and a better United States of America. And so once again, we wanna welcome you to the Who Cares About Justice podcast. This podcast is every 28th of the month. We've had some phenomenal guests. We will review those uh, in just a little bit, but we just wanted to make sure that we are on and we're relevant and uh, we, we're up to date about what's going on in America. Today's broadcast is going to be pretty specific. We're going to talk about today, where do we go from here? Uh, this podcast is simply, where do we go from here? What happens next? What is the next thing that needs to take place? So I'm going to give you a few minutes. If you're watching this broadcast live, share it. Make sure that other people are able to get it. If you're watching it later, share it after you've seen it. Because I believe that some of the things that we talk about today will just be inspiration for you to get involved, for you to find out where you fit in in the social justice movement and then take your rightful place and do the thing that you've been empowered to do. And so our objective here on the Who Cares About Justice podcast is simply to create conversation and cause there to be an evolving empowerment around the experience of inequality, injustice and inequity of blacks and other people of color in America. Our job is simply to inform, to impact, and to inspire. That's our job. That's what we're looking to do. What is it that you need to know? And what are some of the positive ways that you can respond? We believe that conversation is the impetus to relationships and positive, good relationships should cultivate both action and power. And so we're excited. We're looking forward to how we'll make a difference in your life how our podcast, how the Who Cares About Justice podcast, how our partnerships, how our alliances, how the Cares Justice Institute Incorporated in general is going to leave an indelible mark in your heart and your mind and in your lives. That's gonna cause you to wanna do something. That's gonna cause you to wanna be a part of something. 
to want to cause you to look back and say, at this time in history, we were um, uh, related and connected to this particular movement. We're talking about um, the plight of blacks in America and not just black men. Uh, we're reminded by one of our board members of the heart of one Abigail Adams who said, do not forget the women for within our hearts also burns a passion for justice. And so we're looking across the board. We're talking about people of color. We're talking about minorities, but in particular, we're talking about the black experience in America. During these episodes, we wanna make sure that we're relevant with what the numbers say. What does the data show us? How do we uh, move and use this data to, to improve our conditions? Uh, what are some of the current events and some of the marketplace impacts that are taking place right now? And then of course, throughout the year, we'll hear personal stories of historical stories and current stories, uh, real occurrences that are, that are affecting uh, the lives of people that you may know. And so once again, it is our job uh, as we begin to champion against the cause or for the cause against the violation of the Imago Dei, the image of God in every human being, the purpose, the, will, the, the reason they're in existence. Uh, we want to make sure that every person has that opportunity to fulfill the purpose that's in and on their lives. And we're talking specifically about those who have been uh, traumatized and uh, stigmatized and even ostracized from that opportunity because of the skin tone, because of their ethnicity, because of the ethos group that they are a part of. And so we wanna make sure that we do our part as the Cares Justice Institute Incorporated to make sure that we help not only give opportunity, but actually eradicate racism that not even allow racism to be tolerated. And even if we can't totally eradicate it, one thing we can do is we can say that it's not tolerated. And when we see acts of racism, when we see plans that of racism, that we begin to address those right away. So somebody might ask, well, what exactly is racism? Is it just people not liking people or is it people not liking black people? Well, racism, it, it, it is that, but it goes much deeper than that. When we talk about racism, we're talking about prejudice and discrimination and antagonism of one race group over another with superiority and the ability while attempting and intending and desiring to exclude, oppress, and to cause injury in any kind of way. And we're not even talking about just physical injury, but we're talking about economic injury, health disparity injury. So there's a number of ways to be injurious. So that's the question. That's the title of the podcast. Who cares about justice? What do we say about slavery and the post-traumatic slavery syndrome that seems to be uh, moving uh, at a greater pace? We're beginning to see more effects of it generations later, uh, beginning to understand that there's been uh, a great impact on the emotions, on the mentality, uh, even on the esteem of, of, a, of a group of people because of what they had to endure through their ancestry. And so we are uh, attacking, fighting, but also trying to embrace uh, a, a concept of equality that can uh, be proven here in America and then be utilized so every opportunity can be given to every person who's willing to work hard and do the best that they can. We're dating back to the Reconstruction era. We're talking about uh, injustice in so many ways. Many people believe that the system is not broken, but it is built uh, within it, uh, uh, prejudice and preferential treatment. 
uh, law enforcement and judicial systems designed as the extension of a system that could not stand against the reconstruction amendments of the 19th century and were used to disguise the disgust of Jim Crow laws. Uh, we remember seeing the stories, many of us, my age, we weren't there, born in 1968, coming out of the civil rights movement and the death of Martin Luther King Jr. And so we, we didn't see some of the things that we heard about. We didn't see uh, the murders and the shootings of, of individuals who were trying to stand up for justice, civil rights leaders uh, that were moving in, in, in different silos, but doing things that were impactful, the NAACP, the SCLC, and, and so many others, SNCC, and, and so many others that were doing things that were causing a change, bringing to light uh, this uh, lack of empowerment that was given to people because of the race or the color of their skin. And so with that being said, we wanted to make sure that the CARES Justice Institute Incorporated gave a voice to those who did not have a voice, gave a voice to those who uh, were, were marginalized, gave a voice to those who were shut down because uh, of, of who they were and what they lacked and, and not having a, a sphere of influence that gave them an opportunity to speak their minds or even to just raise their voices so that they could be heard. And so we put together the CARES Justice Institute Incorporated. There it is, the Community Alliance for Restorative Educational and Social Justice. And it's an institute, it's an institution. It is an alive, organized organism in Dayton, Ohio, Montgomery County, that we're going to continue to try to make a difference in the lives of so many people. Initiatives that we've already started and looking for great partnerships, partnerships that have already been verbalized and will be formalized over the months and the weeks and the months to come. Looking forward to working with all of those groups uh, in the city and around the state and even throughout the country that are making an impact, that's saying something. We've gotta be a group that says something, that has to be momentum to any movement. And so uh, we're just excited to be a part of that. We're excited to know that uh, we've been chosen uh, to be a part of this change and this transition that's taking place uh, in America. And so when I think about the, 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 the subjects that we've talked about, when I think about the people who have been on talking about racism, probably in four categories, systemic, personal, institutional, and structural, talking about white supremacy, uh, talking about um, uh, white privilege and um, we're talking about um, white fragility, just talking about those things openly, because there has to be a platform where it's spoken plainly, where we're not afraid to talk about it. We're not afraid to, to, to d delve into uh, the things that seem uh, to want people to back up. But I'm just excited. I'm, I'm thankful right now that we're able to do what we're doing and able to do it with the power and the momentum that, that we seem to have right now. Now, again, not in competition. We don't believe that we need to compete. We believe we're alive to help complete a mission that we believe is gonna take more than just us. So let's reflect for a minute and uh, with the CARES Justice uh, Institute and the Who Cares About Justice podcast. In January, we were blessed to have uh, the Honorable Judge Walter H. Rice as our first special guest. Um, he wasn't physically live or, or, or um, where you were able to see him, but he spoke eloquently on the subject of white supremacy and racism in America. Uh, a, someone who sat on the bench for over 50 years, the federal court building in Montgomery County, Dayton, Ohio, is named the Walter H. Rice Federal Court Building. So a man that's made an impact, that's made a difference, and not with just sending people to jail, not with just using the sentencing guideline, not with just trying to uphold the law and, and bring execution to those who had broken 
the statutes and the regulations set for a municipality, but someone who has made a difference, who cares about justice, someone who says, hey, listen, we've got to live with civility. We have to obey the law. The law is there so that we can have some sense of order and governance in our city so people can be safe. Public safety is a major issue, but it wasn't the only concern. The concern was the transformation of people. I've heard him say on several occasions, there are no bad people. They're mostly aren't bad people. Let me correct that. I don't want to misquote him. Mostly there aren't bad people, but good people or people who have made bad decisions. And so they need to be given an opportunity to uh, not only uh, pay the penitents or have penitents for those decisions and and, and do what they need to do to, to show their regret and remorse and then uh, then be given the opportunity to to strive and to become all that they're able to become. But in most cases, we don't see that. And of course, we see a disparity in our system uh, against those people of color, blacks in particular, uh, who are sentenced, it seems like, at a greater rate uh, for lesser crimes. And, and we recognize that there's been some opportunity where we've seen crimes committed and people being treated much differently than those uh, of the skin tone uh, known as black people. And so uh, we can't argue that and we cannot um, uh, ignore and turn our heads away anymore that those types of things are still taking place. But it was an eloquent conversation about racism and what racism has done in America and what he has experienced. And so is white supremacy real? We did. We talked about the overt and the covert of supremacy. You know, back in the day, the overt uh, supremacy was was lynching. And we saw the killing, the Jim Crow era. We saw that just straight up. We saw where uh, Emmett Till was killed for supposedly looking at someone uh, of the majority race, a woman. We, we recognized so many opportunities that were taken against black people and there, there was no retribution uh, from law. There, there was no accountability. Uh, things were able to be done at an alarming rate. Lynchings were uh, a, 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 at an alarming rate to the point to where now there's a museum showing uh, this low-hanging fruit. And when we when we think about um, some of the entertainers and those individuals who began to step up uh, in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, that began to talk about racism, as it were, in the, in the 30s and 20s, that began to make noise concerning that. When we look at Black Wall Street and how that was totally destroyed with no accountability, no one held responsible for those burnings and shootings, and how anytime there was a group gathering, people were able to come and, and just pull out their guns and begin shooting, and, and no one was held uh, responsible for those killings and shootings. And so we just saw a time of terror uh, for, for those that were of color, for black people in particular. It was a time of terror, but has the terror really ended? When we begin to look up and we begin to call out the names of individuals who have had to suffer uh, just you know unnecessarily at the hands of individuals who felt like they had carte blanche, who felt like they were beyond the law, who felt like uh, there would be no retribution when we begin to look at those names. And I, you know, we've got to say those names. And so many people hate to say those names, but, you know, these aren't the only names, but just a few names Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Laquad McDonald, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Philandro Castillo, Bodum Jean, Ahmaud Arbery, Bianca Taylor. And of course, we know about George Floyd. I mean, these names, just a few names. I mean, there's a myriad of names that, that, that have been. 
um, that should be spoken over and over and over again because of the atrocity that has taken place, the way they were murdered uh, for the things they were murdered for. Many of them unarmed, almost most of them unarmed and definitely not approaching the police in any type of way and still gunned down and people not held responsible. In most cases, people acquitted, uh, people uh, getting promotions, people able to move to other police departments at a higher rank, uh, just folks being able to keep their job. And when we look at their cases, when we look back, uh, we, we've seen situations where uh, in their case files, uh, there were many memorandums of aggression or um, excessive use of force. But because the uh, victim was a black person, we did not see uh, things taking place like they were supposed to take place. Can I just say, uh, quite frankly, we don't want to see uh, white people or people uh, of non-minority ethos. Uh, we don't want to see them killed. That's not the point. We're not asking them to be shot down. That's not the point. The whole point for the Cares Justice Institute is about peace and love. We believe we can do much more with peace and love than we can with war. Our question, our our uh, exclamation, our cry is, can black people not be shot down? Can people of color not be gunned down? Can we not be treated like animals? There's more laws to protect animals than it seems to protect uh, black men and women uh, in situations. And so that's that's where our, our conversation is and was with uh, the Honorable Judge Walter H. Rice. And so it was an exciting and a powerful conversation. And then we had our second podcast, which was a special episode uh, called talking about cultivating action and power. We had Dr. Randy Nelson and his assistant, Dr. Youssef, and they were both on and it was a great, great conversation. Dr. Nelson uh, is an expert in the field of social justice and been working in this field for decades and now bringing that experience to students at Bethune-Cookman University, a, a university that uh, founded by a woman who was known for social justice, Mary McLeod Bethune. And so we recognize that uh, this particular university has uh, great roots and a great heritage, great legacy of social justice and understanding the importance of equality and equity amongst all people. And so Dr. Nelson brings his acumen to the table and is uh, allowing it to be utilized not only with Bethune-Cookman University, but throughout the state of Florida and around the country, working with police departments, working with law enforcement, working with personnel training and helping in the area of equity and diversity and helping in the area of relations. Again, remember relationships, positive relationships, they cultivate and create action and power. And that's what's taking place. And Dr. Youssef gave us phenomenal commentary from a woman's perspective, helping us to understand what it's like to be a black woman in America. Uh, many believe that black women, and, and we just seen uh, data uh, as relates to pay, are the lowest on the totem pole. And so sometimes dealing with a double negative or um, they, they are hit in with a double uh, as it relates to uh, inequity, because not only were, are they black, but they're also women. Even when you talk about the 19th Amendment, even when you talk about voting rights for women, as the, the black women became involved in that, even some of those women in the majority uh, at that time said, if you can march with us, you can fight with us. But again, you've got to go to the back. And so uh, we recognize sometimes when we look at those uh, caste rankings uh, that the black woman has suffered so much 
and even at the hands of black men. And so when we talk about equality and justice, we, we can't uh, not talk about gender equality and gender justice uh, as it relates to our black women. And so, uh, but, but, but we're thankful for the conversation that we had with Dr. Youssef and, and Dr. Nelson. They kind of gave us great insight on what's taking place in prep preparing students uh, in a area of law and sociology and social justice. So many, a high, very high percentage of their students at Bethune-Cookman University are there in that school of law and social justice because uh, they recognize the need for it. it. It has to be intertwined in every fiber of uh, business and ethics and uh, how corporations run and hire and treat people. And it probably needs to be a part of the uh, um, of the human resource department to try to dissipate the the, the attrition that takes place uh, because of uh, issues and incidents that may be handled in a particular way. So we, we've got a long way to go, but we want to also say we've made progress. We see some things taking place. We've had a, a, a black president in 2008. We see Barack Obama coming uh, as the president, when he says that, you know, we have, we've got to make a change and change took place. And, and so there were so many people, uh, over the age of 70 and 80 at that time who cried and cried and cried people. I was able to speak to who were just overwhelmed that there was a black man that was president of the United States of America, something that seemed an impossibility in their lifetime. My grandmother, uh, one was born in 1908, one was born in 1912, and I remember talking to them about racism and being in the South, and and one family kind of uh, migrated from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and my other grandmother was uh, from Georgia, and they just talked about some of the things that they would hope to see in their lifetime, and they didn't get to see it, but let me tell you something, they began to see some change, and it was amazing uh, coming off of that cotton field, coming uh, a grandmother, their grandmother, coming out of slavery and being able to tell that story uh, of what it was like when the Emancipation Proclamation took place. But then also understanding that the rights of blacks had not yet uh, began to even um, advance. It, yes, they were free, but they weren't free at all. Uh, it became a free for all uh, of supremacy where the hangings and shootings that I mentioned before took place. And so when Dr. Youssef and Dr. Nelson talked about how to prepare students uh, for now what is known as covert white supremacy, covert racism, where now it's not blatant through lynching and shooting, uh, but it's blatant in business practices and microaggression and conversations and, and in some cases ig ignorance or ignoring uh, or acting like uh, the situation doesn't occur or making it that's not my problem or I'm not racist or I never had slaves and using that commentary to dismiss themselves from the responsibility that every citizen has uh, in America to make sure that the other citizen or another citizen has equal rights and equity to become uh, all that they are to become. And then our third episode, which was our uh, February highlight episode, was Dr. Tamika Bradley Hobbs. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, I said the same for Dr. Youssef and Tamika Bradley Hobbs that more these, my mom used to call them bad mama jammas. They were able to really articulate uh, with, with great uh, excellence and historical uh, memoirs and, and uh, understanding, uh, not only from a technical standpoint, but a lived experience standpoint, uh, from what, what we need to do to help eradicate racism and how it needs to be addressed. And so Dr. Hobbs came to us, uh, Florida Memorial University uh, in Miami Shore, 
in that area down there. And so she's doing phenomenal work. Uh, she is now the leader and director of the Social Justice Institute, Institute at FMU. And so it's an amazing uh, work that's taking place down there. She's also on the board of the Social Floor. I'm sorry, South Florida uh, People of Color uh, organization, and and so she spoke well concerning them, and it was just a great time. And so uh, we just see that uh, so much more has to be done, and so many things uh, are going to culminate uh, from uh, these relationships that we are doing uh, or having, and conversations that are taking place. So we're just excited. Uh, we're looking forward to. Uh, more to come. And so again, though, we're asking this question, where do we go from here? And so as we take in that review and so many things were given and so many suggestions were made, hey, listen, I would definitely suggest to you that you go back and you follow us uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, and definitely subscribe to our podcast, Who Cares About Justice, and take a listen to those first three episodes. They were great. Uh, normally, we have sitting episodes. These are ne not necessarily writing episodes. I know many podcasts are writing episodes where you just kind of take off and uh, in 15 or 20 minutes, it's over. But these are sitting podcasts, podcasts that you can pause and go back and listen to. The, the wealth of information was so grand. We did not want to cut them up. And so we apologize if they seem extensive or uh, long, but, but we want you to be able to go back and, and continue to listen and hear and see what it is that we're talking about, because we believe some great information was given. Um, so it, it's an exciting time and an exciting uh, era for us, though that it seems a bit tumultuous. Uh, it gives us great opportunity and we believe that great things are going to take place. So where do we go from here? What's next? Uh, what's next in your life? How do you make a difference? How do you make an impact? How do you share this information? Well, we want you to do just that. With this podcast, we want you to share it. We want you just to, to take it, share it, move it along. That's the best way to get the word out. When you're talking about a civil rights movement, when you talk about a social justice agency, most of it is conversation that's addressing issues. It's an enlightenment. It's informative. It's empowerment. And so we do that mostly verbally. And we talk about what needs to take place. Remember, Dr. King, he gave speech after speech after speech after Mahalia Jackson would sing the roof off and people would come in and be excited and gather around. He'd be able to speak into the lives of people as he traveled from place to place. He'd speak into the lives of people. Now we have forums like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and these podcasts that give us this opportunity to campaign, to draw people together, to align ourselves, to build forces of enforcement and reinforcement so that we can speak to the powers that be, that we can address patterns of power that show forth racism and prejudice and discrimination and inequality and inequity and disparity. So we can begin to make a voice and, and sound an alarm that people are paying attention and that we are not going to just sit by idle and let these things continue. So we need you. We need you to become a part of what we're doing. And so we, we believe that uh, as we continue to move forward, as we continue to, to trust uh, the God that we serve, that's moving us in the direction uh, that we're in, that even the Bible talks about justice. When we look at Micah 6 and 8, we've got to love justice. We've got to love mercy as we walk humbly with our God. And we want to do the right thing. And we want to do the right thing the right way. And so we, we're just excited about uh, this opportunity to come to you. Now, listen, uh, before I go any further, I want you to, to connect with us. It's on the screen, caresjustice.org, or you can give us a call at 855-30-CARES, and that's 
888-242-2737. Or hit us up on the website. And from the website, you can matriculate to Facebook and Instagram, to Twitter, to the podcast. Leave us a, uh, your number. Connect with us so that you'll get our emails. And so we need to build this family. We need to build this alliance. And I'm talking to everyone in Dayton, Ohio, every organization in Dayton, Ohio. Let's build this alliance. You can check our alliances page. And man, we've got some great partners and those who have called us and said, hey, listen, we're with you. We're in. And that's all I need. We're going to add them to our alliance page. So if you need some help, if you need to find out where to go, if you need to do something with your life, if you need to, if you want to make a difference, if you want to volunteer, you believe you have ministry to give, or if you need help you'll be able to click one of those alliances and get the help that you need. And so we want to talk about some of those disparities. We want to talk about some of that frustration. We want to talk about uh, some of those things that we're dealing with today and how we move forward. March. How do we march forward? Where do we go from here? Listen, there are just so many great agencies. The CARES Justice Institute is not the only agency, not even saying it's the best agency, but I am saying it's a vital agency in your community now. And so it's going to spread. It's going to be around the country. And so we're looking at, at, at setting some of these places in Virginia and Florida and, and allowing ourselves to uh, just be connected and be tentacles of, of a movement that can be a blessing. And then within uh, the organization have enough tentacles to touch so many different areas, uh, one space at a time, making sure that we do it with intentionality and excellence. And so we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to being your partner. We're looking forward to you being a part of our family. So go on right now, find us on Facebook. When you see this, find us on Facebook right away. Listen, on every uh, social media platform is at CARES, J-I-I, but just go look for the CARES Justice Institute. Look for it friend us, like us, stay with us, share what we put on, good information, solid information. We're not trying to be controversial. We're not trying to be belligerent. We're not trying to be overvigilant. We're not trying to be hypo scary uh, about things. We're not trying to come in uh, as, as hypo militaristic, but we are saying that we're going to have to make some noise, that we're going to have to do things uh, at a pace and at a, at a sound that's going to raise some attention. And we want to sit in the boardrooms. We want to use the influence of our board members and our, our people that we're connected to. We're so thankful for the gubernatorial uh, mindset that we have covering this state of Ohio. We're thankful for our state representatives. And so we're, we're appreciating them. I don't want to name them all, but I just those that are, are uh, that understand justice, Phil Plummer and Andrea White and Willis Blackshear, that understand justice, that know what knows what it means for things to be done right and equitably. So we're very thankful for that. We're very thankful for those at work uh, at the governor's office, Ms. Michelle and Mrs. Sarah and, and Ronald Todd and, and, and Andy Wilson. And we're very thankful for their mindset to see some things take place that gives everybody another opportunity, that gives people an opportunity. So we're thankful. So as the CARES Justice Institute continues to move forward, dealing with the expedited pardon project, dealing with bail reform, dealing with mental health fitness and stigmas and inequities, dealing with the health disparities. We're excited about what we've been uh, processed and positioned to do, working with uh, our local community activists, working with those in the mental health field, working with those who are working with youth. Our youth academy is going to be off the charts. We're very thankful uh, for Principal Mike McCray and his teachers, and, and especially Tanisha Bergen, who's going to work with us and 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 help us move this along. Our our forum that's coming out and 
and, and being able to bring young people in to talk about social justice. We're excited about it. We're excited about the connections, even with the state school board and the people who are working there and, and, and people who have the right mindset. We're very thankful for Charlotte McGuire, who as the vice president of the state school board, understands the need to educate our children, understands the need for there to be quality in education, understands the need for us to understand where we've come from and then have a vision of where we're going. And so we're very thankful for all of the people that we're just connected to. They may not be a member of the Care Justice Institute. They may not be a staff person. They may not be on the board, but they understand the mission and the goal. And the mission and the goal is equity. The mission and the goal is equality. The mission and the goal is opportunity. The mission and the goal is eradicate racism. And so we're excited about that. We're very thankful, They're thankful for partners like the UD School of Law, uh, just being able to will, being willing to work with us in one facet of, of our initiatives. We're very thankful uh, for so many people. I don't want to start naming partners because I'll miss some, but we're, we're very thankful. Building Freedom Ohio, the Building Freedom Alliance, and, and so uh, with Edwin Fuller, we're, we're just very thankful for people like that who already know and understand where America needs to go, where our city needs to go, where our county needs to go, and is ready to step in and uh, put their own selves uh, in the mix and in the equation. So when we talk about uh, where do we go from here, what we've seen so far in America, 2021, uh, we've seen a transition of leadership. We have a new president, a democratic president. So it's a complete shift in leadership. We also saw a shift in our Senate. Uh, and so we don't know what that means directly. I'm, uh, a person of, of, uh, like me, a Frederick Douglass Republican, and tries to stand in the middle of the platforms and, and vote my convictions and understand platforms and, and recognize that I'm a Bible thumper, so I'm a conservative. And so even when it comes to my own life, right is right and wrong is wrong, and the Bible is my God. And so I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Uh, mine. <laughs> so, uh, and I can understand that I've got my own testimony. And so I'm thankful of that. And so, uh, and as we celebrate these holidays, the Jewish holidays, and even uh, the Passover time that's coming in, in Easter next weekend. And so uh, in Palm Sunday today, we, we're just thankful uh, for our faith because our faith has gotten us this far and our faith will lead us on. And so I, I'm thankful for that. And so uh, so we're not saying that we're believing in a political party or believing in a man or a woman or believing in anything in particular outside of what we say we believe in as our as we're led by our faith. At the same time, we're understanding transitions and we're understanding the times and just trying to figure out what our next move should be so that we can help as many people as we can. And so we saw a historical thing take place. Kamala Harris. We are uh, just, you know, what can we say? It's history. She is a black woman vice president. It's history. We've had our black first black male president uh, of America. So the first black to be president with a, uh, Barack Obama. And now we've got a first black vice president. And it happens to also be a woman. And so we're not talking about an unqualified woman. We're not talking about someone who hasn't worked in, in, in policy making and in the political arena. So she she sided with Joe Biden. Joe Biden brought her on his ticket and they won. And so this is what we're dealing with now. If you're conservative, you're frustrated because of some of the liberality. If you're liberal, you're excited. And, and we don't know what that means. And so. Uh, but but at the same time, what we can say is history was made and we have to see what takes place in Georgia. We saw straight state legislators being elected that had never taken place before. 
uh, a black man on the straight state legislation legislation of the state of Georgia. Wow. And so we saw some phenomenal people uh, pushing the vote, getting people registered. Uh, a, a, a woman who ran herself and, and did not win, but said, hey, listen, this isn't about me. It's about a cause. And so we're thankful for people that would continue to move on, even when it's not their time at the thing that they thought uh, they were they should be elected in, but continued to push and made a big difference. And so we see that now. And of course, we see the legislation that has come out of Georgia now, and it looks like straight voter suppression. And so it's almost like um, uh, a backlash or uh, a revenge, you know, for the voting and the people coming out and this turnout that we have for voting. Now it's uh, negative reciprocation. This is now how, how we're going to repay uh, those efforts. And so, uh, so we've got some issues that took place. January 6th, Capitol Hill. Lord have mercy. What can I say? Uh, people storming the door. And then just the other day, someone knocking on the door gets arrested. Knocking on the door gets arrested. Storming the Capitol. Uh, people were, were let out. Now, we do know that hundreds and hundreds of arrests have come uh, out of that since that time. But I mean, initially, how did it even happen? How did how did it even get to go that long? Why, why were people killed? How were people inside of offices? How, how did that even happen? How were people climbing walls all day long? I, it, it's just amazing because I, I, I just don't believe, and I hate to get into that kind of conjecture, but I just don't believe that that would have been the case on the other end. I mean, people were called animals and maniacs and all of those things when the looting takes place. And under no circumstances do we condone the looting, but we do know that that when 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 rallies are taken uh, lightly, when marching is taken lightly, when voices are being unheard, we do understand that rioting. Dr. King helped us when he said, "Is the voice of those that are unheard," and uh, it's it's the expression that comes out. It's it's the energy uh, that's fostered. And so uh, I, I will say this: it gets attention. It it but we we never. Uh, condone uh, non-safety. We never condone the opportunity for harm or breaking the law, as it were, to damage other people's property that they've uh, tried to protect, especially, especially those who have not had a direct impact on the moment. Uh, and this isn't retaliation, uh, but this is out of frustration. So we don't condone that. Uh, at the same time, we understand it. And we understand where that comes from. And so then we're talking about these unarmed victims that are dying. And I just uh, speaking to those who are high in, in officials in uh, dealing with the law. It's just very difficult the way the law is written to convict officers for excessive use of force. And uh, I'm not sure that that wasn't intentional. Um, and so you, you have this um, mentality of, of being able to do whatever it is I want to do and take it to the extent that I want to take it as an officer. And people are hurt, people are injured, and people's lives are expired. And in many cases, with no no sense of responsibility or accountability for it, and uh, and so we have to be very careful uh, how we just not say anything concerning these situations. So these are things that need to be addressed. And so where do we go from here? These are the places that we have to go. These are some of the things that we're going to have to do. Some of the situations that we're going to have to address. Why? Because if we don't we find ourselves in a situation where we're back to Jim Crow. We're back to an era where shooting black people, it, it becomes the new lynching and, uh, and black deaths are, we become numb to it. 
and we can't get to that place. That place was not a good place uh, in the history of America. And I don't believe anyone wants us to relive those times. Uh, and we talked about the NBA and the NFL having racial equality initiatives that have been great. LeBron James and AT&T, Dreaming in Black, they've just been great. They've, they've stepped up. We, we saw the NBA, even during the bubble and the time of the playoffs, utilize as many of the stadiums around the country as they could as voting uh, places to vote and get registered and actually vote. And so we, we began to see something take place. We began to see something birthed in America, a new consciousness. Uh, I think one uh, one great preacher in Jacksonville, Florida said, people got woke, America, got, America uh, has gotten woke uh, to this justice. And so it's not that America didn't know that injustice existed, uh, but it, America was complacent with not dealing with it if nobody else was gonna say anything if we didn't find ourselves in a place of urgency. But I believe in May of last year, around Memorial Day with the death, the knee and the neck, that eight minutes and some seconds, George Floyd, uh, I think it was 8.46. It just, how do you describe that? When all of the Christians that I knew, all of the religious people that I knew were upset with Colin taking a knee about a flag, I didn't hear from those same people the disgruntledness about a man taking a knee to a neck of a black man. I didn't hear it. I didn't, I didn't see it on Facebook. I even saw some of my Christian friends and mentors make statements about the flag and loyalty and patriotism and how Colin Kaepernick needs to be banned from football forever, blackball, maybe even arrested for treason. No comment about George Floyd. Is that racism? Is that supremacy? Is that privilege hidden behind a Christian flag and banner? Hidden behind prayers? Hidden behind do goodness, <laughs> serving a community, but yet having these inner feelings that uh, were not expressed openly, but my grandmother said sometimes it's what they don't say should be heard the loudest. And so we think about that. What in the world? How do we not all be at least, at least internally enraged or disappointed about what took place in that situation. And then we see Breonna Taylor. And somehow made it fall. And so we begin to see things matriculate from city to city. Even in our own city, the mayor put together a task force uh, to look at law enforcement reform and and what what can take place uh with with the way we we handle our municipality from a law enforcement standpoint and so we, we're trying to figure that out and so uh but but a groups five groups were put together but that wasn't uncommon around the country groups began to talk and come together to talk about where do we go from here how do we handle these kind of deals what's the problem 
Where is this stemming from? What is the root and how do we get to it? How do we plant new seeds so that we get new fruit? And so we began to see that Fortune 500 companies begin to take a different look at equity and diversity and inclusion, uh, the way we address public policy, uh, housing issues, uh, banking issues. When we began to talk about public safety, what does that look like? You know, you remember back in the day in the movie, The Green Book, you saw uh, those sundown states or those sunset states when, man, when the sun went down, that was it. Uh, you, had, you, you had to go if you were not, if you were black, you, you, you weren't allowed and anything goes. And so uh, the Green Book, uh, safety for blacks riding through the South so that they know where to go, where they could, where they could get a room and not be terrorized, where they could eat. Um, at a table uh, and be comfortable where they could be on the street at night if need be and not feel the threat of death. Uh, it's amazing some of the things that we've matriculated from. And we would think that we have overcome, we would think that we have uh, become um, progressive in some of those areas. In many, there is some progression. But then we find places and situations and times and era and movements and, and things and occurrences and dilemmas and predicaments that come forward that say to us, have we progressed really? And, and how are we now hiding it? And I think where do we go from here is to begin to uncover the layers and layers and layers of racism and supremacy and privilege and, and rage and fragility and, and, and just oppression, manipulation, uh, marginalization. Uh, when we talk about redlining and, and gentrification and we talk about all of those things, we talk about white flight and uh, all, all of the things that, that we look at now that, that have an impact on minority groups and especially black people and people of color. Bail reform and law enforcement reform, criminal justice campaigns, where we're talking about sentencing, sentencing structures, and 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 the disparities that we see with blacks and people of color, and the time that they're getting for crimes that uh, you know you can you know you've got uh, and all of it's wrong, and we're not saying nobody shouldn't go anywhere, but if you got a small amount of a certain drug, you can get 10, 20, 30 years, but a prescription written by a doctor who's normally not black, we're talking about probation, even if it's hundreds and hundreds of prescriptions and things of that nature. So we just see that on a consistent basis. And I know someone could say, well, that's not true. And I've got this case and that case, but yeah, I bet you that there's some judges and some lawyers and some court systems and some documents and uh, some dockets that would say to us, uh, yeah, even just getting probation versus jail time, there's a major disparity. Just the representation in the courtroom, a major disparity. Cash bail, major disparity. Because you're talking about people of color and people of low income or people of poverty. And a lot of times the people of color and the people of poverty, that group enlarges when you put those two together. And then when you add black to it, it becomes an even larger percentage. And so uh, we recognize that. And so when we even talk about media depiction and how folks are depicted in the news and, and how things are said and how people are presumed guilty rather than presumed innocent uh, in the midst of a crime or a situation. Uh, we think about the boys in uh, New York that uh, 
uh, were held all those years for a rape case that a former president said, hey, I've got money to make sure these boys go to jail and come to find out they were all innocent. So uh, we, we, we've just got a long way to go, but I believe there's a roadmap. I believe there's a way to get there. I believe that there's organizations, uh, the NAACP national and local, uh, SELC national, um, um, the, the, the Action Network, uh, we, we, we know that they're doing great work. And so uh, Dr. Sharpton, and so um, places like uh, Bethune-Cookman University in Miami Shores with Florida Rem Memorial and the Social Justice Institute. We know that there's so many places, so many things taking place in Virginia with Dr. Cottrell and the movement there in Redemption uh, and in Dayton, Ohio uh, with uh, the local agencies there, including the CARES Justice Institute Incorporated. So we're, we're, we're excited. We're thankful for what uh, we've been commissioned to do. Uh, this podcast was to kind of bring us and culminate the first quarter. Looking forward to our next podcast in April, where we're going to uh, have at least one of our podcasts would be none other than the, um, Bishop Dr. Von Monroe McLaughlin, uh, a statesman uh, for the body of Christ, for the church. Uh, at large and uh, renowned around the world uh, in his work of city and local transformation and how he empowers a city uh, with the things that uh, he's allowing ministry to accomplish and who has seen it firsthand, whose mother was a part of the marches. And he will talk about that with us on who cares about justice. And we're excited for our April podcast, but that won't be the only one in April, but that will be our feature podcast uh, that will come out on the 28th. But look forward to so many others uh, and look forward to meeting our board members. Our board members are going to uh, do a quick 15 to 30 minute meet and greet uh, by way of podcasts. And, and so that'll be available. But again, visit us. Visit us at uh, our website, caresjustice.org. Or give us a call at 855-30-CARES, 855-302-2737. And you can always email us at the caresjii at gmail.com. And then for sure, we want you to visit us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter at caresjii or the Cares Justice Institute. And then definitely on Anchor, uh, iTunes, and, and some Spotify, you can find the Who Cares About Justice podcast. This podcast that's going live over Facebook now but isn't always live over Facebook, but you can find it. And then you can go to our YouTube page as well, the Cares Justice Institute uh, YouTube page. And that YouTube page will have these and other things on them throughout the year. So we're excited, looking forward to being with you over and over again, looking forward to spending time with you. These last uh, 50 minutes have been a blessing to me to just kind of talk to you. This is your man. This is your guy. This is him. Mark C. McGuire Sr. Some call me P. Mac. Some call me Bishop Mark. Some call me Little Bishop Mac. Whatever it is that you call me, I'm saying call me. Check me out. Come, come connect with me. Let's get together. Let's do what we've got to do. Come alongside the Cares Justice Institute Incorporated. I promise you, it's going to be a blessing to the community. Dayton, Ohio, Montgomery County, the state of Ohio is going to be blessed by the Cares Justice Institute Incorporated. The plans and the vision and the initiatives that are going to take place, the partnerships, the alliances, it's going to be phenomenal. We believe that we're going to be a model that we'll be able to plan ourselves in different cities around the country, strategic, especially in the Midwest, 
and on the East Coast, both Mideast and Southeast. And we believe that there's going to be some great things that take place. And so, but there'll be partners that'll be out West, that'll be in the Northwest. That'll, and we're excited already. We're excited about what's going to take place uh, as we partner with individuals, as we deal with um, disparity and stigma around mental health. We've got to, we've got to improve our mental health fitness as a people, as black people, as Americans, but we cannot let stigma hold us down. We cannot let excuses keep us away from getting to the help that we need. And we can't let situations like mass shootings and people being walked out in handcuffs that sharpshooters couldn't kill even though they shot and, 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 and caused some blood, but then write it off as a mental health issue. And now others don't want to be seen like that. So they don't want the right and proper mental health fitness. That's That's not the case. That's not the mental health help that we may need, but we all may need some encouragement. We all may need to take a look at something. It's just like physical fitness. It's just like taking care of your teeth. It's just like going to the, the optometrist once or twice every two years. It's just like getting your hearing checked. It's just like getting your teeth done once a year. It's just like having a physical once a year. It's just like when those times in life come that those men and women have to have certain things checked in their bodies. We need to do the same thing for our mind. It's the computer. We've got to get the bugs out. We've got to make sure we're cool. We're clear. We've got to make sure that we're not dealing with some trauma, post-traumatic stuff, things that are are um, ailing us and, and harassing us in our thinking and suffocating us in our innovative mindsets and not allowing us to make the paradigm shifts that we need or to just cognitively process things properly. And so we've got to get rid of the stigma. We've got to do it. I love to do it. I love to sit and, and talk about those things and let those things uh, get down in my spirit and saturate in my mind so I can process it and think about it. And then guess what? If I need some help, I need some help. And, uh, and yes, I pray. And yes, I go to the word of God. And sometimes because of the state, you have to talk to a professional to help so they can help you process and move forward and walk those things out. And man, we just got to get rid of the stigma. And let me tell you, social uh, substance use disorder, we've got to get rid of those stigmas. We got we to gotta make sure that the awareness of getting help and treatment and recovery is right there. And so we've partnered with some great people as it relates to substance use disorder and doing some great work around the country, Minnesota and, and, and Detroit, Michigan, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. And, and so, man, we're excited about what's taking place and going and taking place in Dayton, Ohio. So get ready for it. Look for it. Peer recovery is taking place. It's doing great work. Look forward to it. Great work going on in Cleveland and a new organization is evolving, AFRO. And so there'll be a federation of things, uh, uh, an organization that will help people grow up clinically and in and, and, and recovery and treatment and peer recovery specialists and financing and all those things. It's coming because this is where we've got to go from here. This is what we have to do. We can no longer sit back. Remember, we start a conversation. It's the impetus for a relationship. We create positive relationships and it is the catalyst for action and power. Empowerment is what we need. Enablement is what we have to have. And so we're beginning to see that. We're beginning to see the push. And so we're excited here at the CARES Justice Institute. Uh, someone asked me, man, which one is appropriate? Is it African-American? Is it black? Is it Negro again? Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter. We know that the African-American is the black man and the one so-called Negro. And so if that's the case, then we just need to not so much worry about the semantics of the name. 
but we need to empower what they call the race. And we know race wasn't even really a deal. Racial groups, but race wasn't even a deal. But we now we have racism, and so we have to deal with it as it is. But whatever it is, African-American, Blacks, Negro, whatever it is, however you need to approach it, however you need to feel comfortable with it, what we need to do is be empowered. There needs to be equality of opportunity. There needs to be equity. We need to dissipate the disparities so that we can have what we need. When we're talking about hiring practices, we're talking about economic disparities. We've talked about the, the mental health and the substance use disorder, but let me also talk about just health equity in general. This pandemic has exposed so much about the health equity in America amongst blacks and people of color. COVID-19 has exposed it in a phenomenal way. And so we've got to continue to do more as it relates to testing. We've got to do more as it relates to treatment. We have to do more as it relates to stopping and ending deaths. Most of us have been impacted with somebody with the COVID-19 virus in the hospital, not knowing. And then many of us have shared that many have passed away. And so here we are, 2021, and still as black people, not getting the proper treatment that we need physically. So we've gotta make sure that we understand access awareness of, of treatment and opportunities, and then we have to utilize it. And we know sometimes we've got barriers as it relates to insurance, transportation, and all those things. And so as Americans, as people, as brothers and sisters, we've got to help change that narrative and move us forward as it relates to any of these disparities. Last but not least, in these last couple of minutes, I want to talk about the education system and we want to talk about minority poverty, which we think to some degree has been addressed with the stimulus package. But that's the beginning. That's the beginning of the work. That's not the catch all. That's not the end. And we have to put the money to the mission. We have to put things in place. We got to do things that's going to make a difference. We can't just leave it the way that it is. And so at the Cares Justice Institute Incorporated, we believe that uh, our job is to make sure that we stay in front of those patterns of power and that we stay in front of those people who are the powers that be, that we stay in the ear and stay close as Frederick Douglass was to Abraham Lincoln, as Mary McLeod Bethune was to the presidents of her time and those officials of her time, as Dr. King was to a Lyndon Johnson. So we must be to our gubernatorial executives, to our mayors, and yes, to our president and vice president. We've got to stay in their ear. We've got to continue to be relevant. We've got to continue to fight for justice. We've got to continue to fight for equity and equality. We've got to continue to fight for this equality of opportunity. We've got to understand what our role is as black adults to our children. How do we leave a legacy? What do we leave them with? How do we empower them? That's what we have to begin to think about. What do we know about our history that can help change our future? How can we educate them outside of February about the great contributions that we've made throughout America, throughout time? What do we need to, what truth do we need to tell about slavery and the enslavement of black people from Africa coming over and hitting the East Coast, landing in 
and building America, becoming commerce and commercialized individuals, being sold like cattle, being treated worse than dogs, but then being free to only to be hunted down, to be given rights only to not be able to vote, to be able to vote, but yet not allowed to get to the polls, to begin voting, but then not giving the option to exercise the rights and the vote that we've been given once we voted for the people we wanted in office. And then to begin to see ourselves slowly go back into time and look like we're about to rehearse some of those same tumultuous eras. Oh, it may not be slavery as it were, or as it was, but we see supremacy and racism nonetheless. And so I say this, removing racist structures and cultures is not the responsibility of black people or other minorities growing up in communities that have been historically marginalized. Those who are non-black must listen to the lived experiences and voices of those individuals willing to share their plight. But it's not the job of the victimized and the oppressed to dismantle the forces that have ostracized them and their communities. Rather, if we're going to dismantle racism, it's going to be the responsibility of non-black people in their own families, on their jobs, in their places of worship, in their communities, in the business arena, every ec economic stratosphere, in the marketplace in general. Let me just say this, in our lifetime, racism may not be eradicated, but it can no longer be tolerated. This is Mark C. McGuire Sr. This has been the Who Cares About Justice podcast. Listen, we love you. We believe in peace and love. We believe in equality. We believe that the 14th Amendment has made us all citizens to share in this great dream known as America. But we need to do it conservatively and according to faith, according to the word of God, so that then we can truly see the promises unveiled and we can truly see the manifestation of our opportunities. So once again, this is your man, your host, Mark C. McGuire Sr., we want you to tune in, subscribe, share, partner with us, even rate us if you need to so that we can get better. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, connect with us. The Cares Justice Institute Incorporated in Dayton, Ohio. Call us, email us, hit the website, find us on YouTube. But whatever you do, let's be partners together. God bless you. And remember, peace, be still.